Well, good morning. It's such a joy to be with you guys here this morning in worshiping. If you're new with us, I want to say welcome, and I hope that you feel loved and blessed as you join us in worship this morning. I'm usually up here leading worship, but I always look forward to every time that I get to preach. Not just because I get to preach, but also because I get to be out there with all of you guys, with all your voices around mine, as together we're joined in a single voice to Christ our King for the praises of His glory. And that's a picture of what heaven is going to be like someday. We talk a lot about heaven here in the church. I think about it just about every day. My kids are always asking us questions about heaven. What's heaven like? You don't even need to be a believer to be fascinated by heaven. You don't even need to believe in a heaven to be fascinated by it. It's a concept that people of all different eras of time have just been enthralled with. There's a lot of different views out there on what heaven is, on what it's like. But I think that at least most everyone can agree that heaven is a good thing. Heaven is perfect. It's more than ideal. It's better than anything that we have here on earth. In fact, whenever we do have something here on earth that we, that we like, that we think is just about perfect, we compare it to heaven. You might have heard someone call it heaven on earth or something is heavenly. Like if I were to walk into a guitar store or a grill shop or something like that, I would be in heaven. A couple days ago, my wife made a root beer float pie with a thick graham cracker crust. And let me tell you, that was heaven in my mouth right there. Of course, she would describe heaven on earth being her coming home to a clean house without her having had to lift a finger. Do all the wise out there give her an amen? (laughs) But heaven is a good thing. Heaven is something that we all find appealing. This idea of heaven on earth. But what about in the spiritual sense? Is there a sense that we can have heaven on earth? Is heaven and eternity the next thing that we have to look forward to as believers in Christ? Or can we look forward to tomorrow if the Lord doesn't take us to heaven then? What is there for us in this life right here, right now? That's the question that we want to answer today as we dive into God's word. We're taking a little break from our series in the Upper Room Discourse. We'll be back there next week. But I think you'll find that this text that we're going to look at is very much in tune with the themes that we've been preaching on lately out of John's gospel. So a few sermons back, I preached on the rich young ruler out of Mark. And I'm not going to preach that sermon again. You can find it online if you want to. But to summarize, this rich young man comes up to Jesus enthusiastically and respectfully And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he goes, I have kept these all since my youth. And then Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Then he says, the man went away sad. The disciples are here all this time watching everything go down. 
And Jesus uses this to teach them a lesson about how impossible it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Which brings us to our passage for today. So if you'll, in your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 28. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So as we can see here, following Christ is costly, both through the story of the rich young man and this text that we're looking at here today. It's no small trivial thing. It's not like subscribing to CAC News or to a YouTube channel or something. This is something that is all or nothing. So Peter opens his mouth and sets off this whole next part of the story in motion. And we know that every time Peter opens his mouth, things are going to get interesting. You all know that one person that says out loud what everyone else is thinking. If there's an elephant in the room, they're Captain Obvious and point it out. You might even be that person if you don't know that person. But that's what Peter was doing here. If there was any silence to be broken, he broke it saying, we have left everything for you. What then is there for us? Now he might've said it with some arrogance. You're welcome, lucky you, you get us on your team. Or he might've said it with some insecurity and concern. We've left everything for you. Are you gonna come through for us? Is this worth it? We have left everything for you. What is there for us? It's a good question. Now, we might be tempted to write Peter off whenever we compare him to the rich young ruler. We might be like, whoa, slow down there, Peter. I know you left behind your little fishing business and all. That's kind of cute. But this guy over here, he had a lot more to lose. So apples and oranges. Before you start thinking that way, don't be so quick to write him off. It's true. The rich guy over here, he had a lot more to lose monetarily. But Jesus is about to show us that wealth is measured in more than just silver and gold, but in something that I would say is deeper and more powerful. Listen to the things that he lists that followers of Christ have had to leave behind. Home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands, fields. These things aren't so monetary in nature, but rather they're familial, relational. It implies community. And you see, these people, these disciples and people like them, they couldn't relate to the rich young ruler. He was in a class all by himself. But this right here, this hit home for them. And back then in ancient Jewish culture, family was everything in contrast to our highly individualized society in America today. Everything revolved around the patriarchal familial system, typically with a patriarch 
and the following two generations all working together as one village or clan. And so this meant something to them. And we find that Jesus did not only challenge the wealthy, but also those with strong family ties. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, as we see in Luke 9, he's calling for people to come follow him. And people flock to him with a lot of enthusiasm. This one guy comes up to him and says, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. To which Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Whoa, okay then. Then someone else comes up to him and says, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. And then Jesus goes, anyone who looks back is not worthy of my kingdom. What's Jesus talking about here? It seems like Jesus is being rather rude and insensitive to people like this. I mean, I can get, I can understand him being harsh on the rich and the powerful, the oppressive. I can get behind that and cheer him on. Go Jesus, knock him down. But people like this, these are people that you and I can relate to. They want to do right by their families. And yet Jesus is being harsher on this group of people than he was on the rich guy. What's up with this? Surely it's more admirable and noble to care about family, for that to be your treasure over shallow monetary riches. I would say, yeah, that's certainly more noble. But sometimes it's the most noble things that can keep us from truly knowing God. Because family ties are ultimately stronger than material wealth. It's hardwired in our DNA. Long before the advent of money and trade, there were interpersonal relationships. And that can be a very challenging thing to stand in between us and God. So Jesus is not calling for us to dishonor our families. He has a very high view of the family. That's not what he's saying here. But what he is saying is that this love that you have for your family, for your relationships, you need to love me more. As devoted as you are to your family, you need to be more devoted to me. I can't come in second place. I can't be tied for first place even. I can't be something that's tacked on to something else. I need to be your number one, first priority. So much so that if it came down to it, you would leave your family behind and let them go for my sake. That's a tall order, a very tall order, all or nothing. Something I really appreciate about Jesus is how real and honest he is. He's not some shady salesman trying to, to seal the deal saying, come and follow me, riches and mansions of glory and peace and joy. And by the way, there's going to be persecutions and tribulations and hardships. And no, he doesn't tout all these big, bold promises and then squeeze in the fine print right there. No, he is honest. It's like he's saying to us, I'm going to level with you. I don't want to waste your time. If you choose to follow me, it's going to be a long and hard road. If that's not for you, there's a door over there. But if this is something that you truly desire, then you're with me for the long haul, and I'm all you've got. 
And for those who have stayed the course, like the disciples up to this point, for those who have chosen to follow Christ and have survived when others have been weeded out, they've often found that greater pain for the sake of following Christ has come not from lost riches, but from lost relationships. I'm reminded of former Muslims who have come to Christ. Their stories seem to be very similar most of the time and that they're shunned by their families, disowned by their communities. I was reading an interview with uh, Nabil Qureshi one time. You might've heard of him. He was a uh, Christian missionary and apologist. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago, but he grew up in a devout Muslim family and he was very devout himself, a Pakistani American. And he struck up a friendship with this believer. And over a long series of conversations, he came to the conclusion that the Bible is true and that Jesus is the only way. And he described his conversion as the most painful thing of his entire life. He said he told his family about his newfound faith in Christ and he saw his father cry tears for the very first time. He said he looked into his mother's eyes and it was as if someone went in and turned off the lights. He looked at the faces of his family and it's like he saw all the joy and the life get sucked out. My story is the opposite. My parents couldn't be happier that I am following Jesus today. And many of you share that in common with me. But some of you might come from families that are hostile to the gospel. Families that have disowned you or mistreated you because of your faith. Others of you might come from unbelieving families that aren't hostile per se. They're okay with you being a Christian. But there's a disconnect there. There is a closeness and a connection that you simply cannot have as your first loves are worlds apart. And so you feel the sting of that loss. And you can see why the disciples would be asking, what is there for us? Following Christ is costly. And that is something that we should never forget or take lightly. But at the same time, our focus should not be on what we lose, but rather on what we gain. So when Peter runs his mouth like this, it's usually followed with the stern rebuke from Jesus. But interestingly enough, we don't find a rebuke in here. The closest thing we find to a rebuke is in verse 31, whenever Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So what's he talking about here? This is a verse that has often been taken out of context. And if you're like me, you're a parent with young kids, you've often used this verse. All right, Billy and Sally, let's, uh, let's behave, let's share and take turns, because you remember the last shall be first and the first shall be last. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. After Jesus says this, in Matthew's account of this story, he tells the parable of the landowner. You guys remember that one? This rich landowner hires out these laborers to come and work his vineyard. He hires people early in the day, and then people kind of come in staggered throughout the day up until the late hours. 
At the end of the day, he pays them all exactly the same wages. And the people who'd been working longer are obviously not too happy about that. And there's a lot of dimensions to this parable that we don't have time to unpack in today's sermon. But something I believe that Jesus is saying is that he is giving them a gentle warning to not be fixated on the things that they have left behind. Because if they are so focused on their sacrifices, their service, the things that they have lost, they will not be able to enjoy the blessings that Jesus has promised to them. Jesus is gently reminding them to not find their sufficiency in what they have sacrificed or how they have served, but to find their sufficiency in Christ and in who he is. Likewise, we should not find our identity in the things that we have done, but find our satisfaction in who he is. So that brings us back to our question. What is there for us here in this life, right here, right now? What are these blessings that Jesus is talking about? Well, let's let Jesus answer that for himself. He says here that we will receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus is saying that for whatever we lose, he makes up for a hundredfold in this life. He's not just going to double it. He's not just going to triple it, but he's going to take what we have lost and he's going to multiply it a hundred times over. And we haven't even gotten to heaven yet. This is right here and right now. This is heaven on earth. You see, God cares that we are blessed in this life. He cares that we have joy, that we have pleasure. He cares about us having community and friendships, that we're loved and accepted. These are not unspiritual things to be concerned with. God cares about us right here in this life. And so we don't need to wait until heaven to receive his joy and his blessings. And God blesses us in a way that only he can bless us, not by health and wealth, as some might tell you, but in his own way. Jesus brings about this 100-fold promise through his church. The idea of going to church is one that has been questioned in the past 10 to 15 years or so. With the advent of the digital age, you can access just about anything. With this right here, you could design your own custom church service. On YouTube, Spotify, there are a lot of worship leaders who are way better than me, so you can look them up, pick out your perfect playlist of songs, and sing. You can find lots of preachers that are way better than me, so you can look up their sermons or podcasts and listen to them. You can have church right here. So why come to church if we have everything that we can get our hands on right here? What's the use? Why not just have God all to ourselves and devour all these resources, theologically sound resources, that we can find? 
One-on-one God with time is very important, and we should never forget that. But we can only know God so much. We cannot know him to the fullest extent apart from the body of Christ. I heard a story about C.S. Lewis one time, and he had these two friends, Charles and Ronald. Ronald is actually J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. And he enjoyed these two men, spent a lot of time with them. And one day, Charles died. And of course, Lewis was sad by that. But he also started to think, now I can know Ronald even better. I can have him all to myself. But much to his surprise, he found the opposite to be true. He found that a part of Ronald had died along with Charles. And that some of the things that he loved most about Ronald could only be brought out in the presence of Charles. And this is the same idea here. We can know God in a certain way when it's just us in our prayer closet. But we can't know him to the fullest unless we experience him together. That's why church is so vital, so important. You see, whenever we come to Jesus... He gives us this amazing, incredible gift. Whenever we come to Jesus, he gives us brothers and sisters to come and walk alongside us, to be accountable to, to laugh with and enjoy, to have fun with, to be encouraged by. When we come to Jesus, he gives us mothers and fathers to look up to, to learn from their wisdom to help guide us as we walk the Christian life. He gives us children to pour into and raise up as our next generation of saints. He gives us homes to be welcomed into, to feel a place of belonging, to feel loved. Even this very land in which we live in, Wake County, North Carolina, it's as if he gives us this land because we have such a sense of identity and belonging through our church. Every time my family and I go on vacation, we have a good time. We enjoy spending time in other places. But whenever we we drive back and then we hit that sign, not literally hit that sign, but we pass that sign that says, welcome to North Carolina, there's a sense of, ah, yes, whenever we get through there. It's not just because North Carolina is a beautiful state, which it really is, but because it's a reminder that this is the field that God has been moving and working in our lives through. This is where our family is. This is where we have our heavenly community. Every Mother's Day or Father's Day, we make it a point to not just acknowledge our biological and adoptive mothers, but also our spiritual mothers, fathers too, on Father's Day. And that's not because we're up here saying, well, we got to throw you guys a bone. We don't want you to feel left out. No, that's because that's what Jesus himself has called you. If you have invested in someone younger than you and showed them the love of Christ, then you are a mother, you are a father, and nothing less. Again, Jesus is being very forthright and honest, saying that along with all these wonderful things, there will be 
persecutions bundled in with it. You'll still feel the pain of loss that you have experienced. That's not going to necessarily go away. But the things that I give you will far outweigh it and you will have enough joy and strength to weather through it. What a wonderful gift our God has given us. This is God's gift to us. Whenever we think of the church in Acts, sometimes I think we can over-romanticize it because they had the same issues and problems that we have here today. But there is something that we can follow their example on, is their spirit of generosity. Listen to what Luke says in Acts chapter 4. He says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all there were no needy persons, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Just imagine, what would the church in America be like if we all lived like this? What would Cary Alliance Church be like if we all lived like this? And I am glad to say that this is not a foreign concept here at our church. It seems like every other week I'm always hearing about our youth group kids picking up trash or doing yard work or house cleaning for our older saints on a Saturday morning whenever they could be playing video games, shopping, or sleeping in. Or whenever someone is in need, people are ready with a meal train and gifts. Whenever someone has needed transportation, someone has offered their car to pick them up and take them where they need to go. A few years ago, my father got his stage four cancer diagnosis and they made the decision to move here from Texas. And many of you gave them so much that they wouldn't need to be burdened with everything happening all at once without having ever even met them. And then just last week, Pastor Tom shared about one of our ladies who was in need of a kidney. And then this other lady who hardly knew her at all felt led to give her her kidney so that she could have a second chance. Who does stuff like this? What kind of people live like this? This is God's gift. You all, we all, are God's gift to one another. There are two ways that we are to respond to Jesus' promise. The first is that we need to join community. There is so much here to be a part of. Of course, we've got the regular gathering here and now, but we also have small groups. If you're not in a small group, you can talk to Pastor Raj and he'll get you hooked up. If you're musically inclined, we've got the worship team. We meet once a week for fellowship, prayer, and rehearsal. 
And we actually get together once a month at one of our houses to share a meal and just have fun together. We've got the discipleship hour at 930 where you can go take a class or if you don't want to do that, just meet in the lobby over some coffee and visit and pray with someone. And there's lots of other things that are happening organically. Some of our guys on the worship team just decided to get together and jam and go over some classic rock and blues type stuff and spend some time praying and having fellowship with one another. And this all started apart from me. This wasn't my doing. They just got together and formed this wonderful community together. And Pastor Cameron's wife started something, this fellowship with, uh, with mothers, with kids, with young kids, to get together at the park and just enjoy one another. There's so much that we can be involved with together because we all need each other. There was a study that was conducted by the Gospel Coalition that was researching all the people who have left since COVID and haven't come back. 25% of those people were what they called the church casualties, meaning that they left because of church hurt or deconstruction. The other 75%, these are what they called the casually de-churched. These are the people that left once lockdown started and then they just hadn't gotten around to coming back. And I wanna be very gracious as I talk about this because I know that many of you who worship online, you've got serious health things, you've got concerns that you need to be really careful with. I totally get that and I respect it. But there might be some of you worshiping online right now. You might have never even set foot into this building. I don't know you right now. You might have just found us and started checking us out. And I'm glad you've been benefiting from our ministry online. But at the same time, I know that you need something more. You need a body of believers around you who love you. And if that's you, I want to say, it's okay that you haven't been to church in a while. Come and join us. We don't want to judge you. We don't want to give you a guilt trip. We just want to wrap our arms around you and love you because we need you and you need us because that's what this is all about. This is God's gift to us. The second thing that we need to do in response is that we need to be community. This is a very active promise on our parts that God gives to us. It's not something where we just stand back and say, okay, God, do your thing. He has called us to be the promise that he has given us. You see, he has promised that you are going to be a mother. You are going to be a father to someone who needs someone godly to look up to. God has promised that you are going to be a brother. You are going to be a sister to someone who doesn't have a lot of connection and who needs someone to walk alongside them and encourage them. Jesus has promised your home for someone to come into as a place of refuge, to feel loved, welcomed, accepted, free of judgment, understood. Maybe he's calling you to start a small group. God has called you to be a child to someone who is older and who needs people to look after them and care for them 
in their older years. God has called all of you, all of us, to be the promise. We have a kids' ministry and a youth ministry that always needs volunteers. This morning, is God calling you to maybe put aside a few things on your busy calendar and take the time to be a spiritual mother or father to some kids who desperately need it? Is God calling you here this morning to open up your home to someone and become a brother or sister to them and give them some place to be safe? This is an active promise that requires all of our action. There are three spiritual family members in my life that I see as landmarks. In addition to my own two parents, these people have been very instrumental in my faith. Some of you know my testimony. I'm not going to share it all. But years ago, even though I was still walking with the Lord, being a pastor or worship leader or preacher was the last thing I would have wanted to do. Oops. <laughs> but um, years ago, we started going to this church and we got involved in the worship team. And there was this lady there about my parents' age and she just took us under her wing and loved us as her children and grandchildren. And she saw a few things in me that I didn't see in myself. And so she started challenging me to step up and use my gifts for the Lord, to have more leading responsibilities and, and take on a bigger role. And so this lady, I call her my Missouri mom to this day, but she would pray for me and just really believed in me. And she taught me what it was to be a humble leader. That led me to this other local church that needed a worship leader. And so I found my first worship leading position. The pastor there, who has since gone to be with the Lord, he took me under his wing and he taught me what it was to have a voracious appetite for the word of God, to have a robust theology. And I took that and learned greatly from it. And that led me to Cary Alliance Church, where a man named Mitchell Gregory took me on, took me under his wing and taught me what it was to be a shepherd and care for God's people. And I miss him, as all of you guys do too. And I don't say any of this to just talk about myself. That's not what this is about. But I say this because we need people like these three precious saints. And I know that I have a long way to go in my own spiritual journey. But I have a deeper, closer community with God because of these three precious saints that he put in my life. And God is calling us all to be those three saints, to be there for one another and to invest in the church of tomorrow. We're about to come to the table and take part in something that we call communion. And while we remember the physical sufferings that Jesus went through, we also remember the isolation. He was despised and rejected by man. He became sin for us, so much so 
that the father turned away. And so Jesus suffered and died alone. And because of his great sacrifice, now we can enjoy loving community with God. Right here and right now, all together with one another. Even through hardships, we can still enjoy these blessings that God is giving us right now. We should be so satisfied in Jesus, even through hardship, that we think, man, if things are this good right here and right now, I can't imagine what that day of glory is going to be like. A community of heaven. Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you for this body that you have given to us, this one body with many parts, that we all need one another. We can't function without this, without that, but you have joined us together to do your mission. So Lord, would you help us to love one another? As we've been looking at in the upper room discourse, you have called us to love one another for they will know that we are your disciples from our love for one another. Lord, would you grow our bonds together? May we be united in the bonds of peace. May we care for those among us who are needy. May we reach out to those who are lonely. There should be no such thing as a lonely Christian if we are all doing our part, if we are all becoming the promise that you have made, that hundredfold promise of God. May we delight ourselves in your blessings to not focus on what we have left behind, but to take hold of what you have given us right now as you have given us yourself and will one day give us even more, O oh God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.